Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. In a world where a pandemic rages across the United States, one league got everyone together for one big moment. Breaking news on the resumption of the NBA season. The National Basketball Association Board of Governors has voted to approve a 22-team single-site format to restart this season. One team down on their luck, doubted by everyone. Phoenix has no chance to make the playoffs. They're just, I don't know why they're there. I guess they're there to balance the conferences. They came to prove a point. Booker to Bridges. Bridges, shot clock at two. The turnaround jumper able to get the roll. And this will force a timeout. They came to show everyone. You have to be relentless. This is is about perseverance. We're not going to turn this thing around overnight. It just takes a lot of will. You cannot quit. Miramax Pictures and Disney proudly presents. Please, another reason why this Toronto team so good defensively is Booker. Raising up with a nasty left-handed hammer. Starring Devin Booker. You know, we have a few more games to go. Um, And I know he's locked in. We're all locked in. DeAndre Ayton. He says, no, thank you. I'll take the three instead. And introducing Mikhail Bridges. Bridges with a three-point hit. The Phoenix Suns in the bubble. Everything we want's on the other side of hard. This is our hard, and we're going to find out who we are. I'm sweating. <laughs> it's I'm hot. still sweating. It's about what is it? About twenty minutes oh after the God. game ended. We're I, gonna win the whole damn oh. thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is such oh a, a Phoenix Suns thing to happen because <sighs> you can't crush somebody's hope if they don't have any hope. <laughs> I just I can't stress like that was. One of the best wins 
for the Phoenix Suns in the past since Steve Nash. Uh, and yes, I completely I, agree. I, I'm at a loss for words, man. Like we didn't we didn't plan this one. We just we just saw like the final score and we were like, "Fuck it, we gotta go." And we have to. Oh my god, there's so much to talk about. Where do we okay. start? Where do we start? I want to start somewhere that you probably don't expect, and that's Devin Booker. Okay. Devin Booker was phenomenal in start. this game. He <laughs> uh, he was in foul trouble throughout the game uh, due to some bullshit calls. I don't know how else to say it. But he scored 30 points on 20 shots. He had four assists and three rebounds, and he was just so steady. Anytime the Mavericks were making a run that could have put them solidified their lead in this game. Devin Booker had an answer for them. And we've talked about it before. For whatever reason, he always kills the Mavericks. He plays so well against them. Now they don't have Wesley Matthews anymore, but we've seen how he plays against the Bucks as well. But it almost didn't matter who was defending him. And, And I think a lot of what he was doing was attacking in transition. I don't have the stats in front of me right now. I was just so blown away by how... Well, he can play in limited minutes. Had he not been in foul trouble, it would be hard to predict how many po- he could add 40, 45 points in this game. Yep. If they just, if they did not, if the refs didn't completely hamper him with <laughs> completely bullshit calls. Right. I, and if they, and if they gave him the same calls that they gave Luca. Exactly. My worry is, so the Suns won this game. So obviously Booker's going to get a lot of credit because he was the leading scorer for the winning team. But man, dude, people are going to look at the box score and they're going to see Luka Doncic 40 points and they're going to see Devin Booker 30 points. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, it's unfortunate with this one because um, who was playing? Someone someone tipped off half an hour before this game. It was Milwaukee versus, I literally Houston. don't even, Milwaukee versus Houston. So all of NBA Twitter was paying attention to that game until the last three minutes right. when Booker was already fouled out uh, and right. they could hop over and, and, and check us out. Right. But dude, Devin Booker was hitting some of the most difficult mid-range shots I have seen him make all season long 10 free throw attempts for him, 19 free throw attempts for Luka Doncic. The way that Doncic was bailed out consistently by the refs in this game, I'm not a conspiracy theorist even, but but this was egregious, the calls. Yeah, Truly I, awful. I, and I don't really even understand why but, but, at this point, because we, they just solidified their playoffs. They're in the playoffs, right? Yes, they don't have to win yes. any more games to make the playoffs. There's no well, chance and, of the Mavericks being out. I don't actually think that the league was out to get the Suns here. I just I just think it was some of yeah. the worst officiating I've seen definitely all season long. But before we even get into the officiating, because that's a whole other can of worms, I just want to finish the point that, yeah, Luka Doncic had 40 points tonight. Devin Booker was the best player on the floor. And Doncic yes. has had a better season. I said that when we when we previewed the game with uh, with Richie a few days ago, I, I laughed at, at the notion that Devin Booker was a better player than Luka Doncic was. That was a mm-hmm. few days ago that I said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely clear who the best player on the floor was tonight. It was Devin Booker. It wasn't the guy driving and, and getting hacked and, well, not even getting hacked, but getting bailed out by, by the whistle and getting to the free throw line over and over again. It was the guy out there on the other side of things for the Suns who was hitting difficult shot after difficult shot. Um, yeah, it's just a shame he couldn't be out there in the final minute, but what a hell of a performance from Devin Booker. I was so blown away by it, and it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to be there at the end in what ended up being such a stressful ending. I, I just think he he's so steady now in, in a way that he just wasn't in previous seasons. Last season, I think, is a good example of where it started to solidify where game after game after <clears throat> game, you could just count on him to score 20 to 25 points and then occasionally explode to for 30 to 35 to 40 points and um, this year it was it was completely solidified he he did he does it over and over again but in this game there were so many opportunities for the Mavericks to just completely blow the lead wide open and just completely demolish the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker specifically did not allow that to happen. He's the yeah. reason that the bench had a chance, which is hilarious, by the way, that this is a game that the bench won. Uh, but he's <laughs> I, the I reason yeah. that the bench had a chance to even make it a game late in the third. And 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 also, shout out to, to the Mavericks' inability to close out games because that was yes. very important to the Suns well, in this game as well. And And also, like, the other thing I said to Richie when we previewed this game is like, Okay, you guys have a lot of good role players, but who's number three? 
And this game kind of just solidified some of the Mavs' weaknesses as they head into the playoffs. Like, Luka had 40 points. It wasn't a good 40 points. He had to be bailed out by the refs consistently to hit that 40 points. He didn't hit a step-back three all game long, I don't think. Um, KP didn't shoot much. yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't one of those MVP takeover type of games. It was just one of those games where where bullshit kind of got him to that point. But but KP obviously was very good. He had thirty points. He was hitting threes in in rhythm. Um, after that, their their next leading score was Seth Curry with sixteen. I, he didn't like stand out to me as I was watching him. Um, and after that, not a single other Mav was was even in double figures. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith played like trash. Tim Hardaway Jr. shot one for twelve from the field. Couldn't buy a bucket all game long. Yeah. Um, so definitely, like they were, they were exposed a little bit and continue to be exposed somehow. Uh-huh. I think it's interesting uh, by the Suns, who are four and one against Dallas in their last I, five games. I want to just point out that the reason that that happened was one hundred percent game plan and coaching. And and what I mean by that is the Suns have the ability of playing Luka Doncic one-on-one because they have Mikhail Bridges. I counted only one trap in this game. Now, I have not gone back and rewatched the game, but so it's possible they, there were some quick traps around screens, but only once where they threw a trap at Luka Doncic with campaign at half court and he had to get rid of the ball. I actually kind of like that. But what they did instead, the idea of the game was to play Luka Doncic to not be able to shoot open three-pointers and force him into the paint where they can funnel him into DeAndre Ayton, something that they did in previous games. DeAndre Ayton obviously had trouble in this game. Luka Doncic did well scoring in on the inside as far as actually taking advantage of being allowed to sort of run directly to the basket in a lot of these scenarios. But the most important thing to do in that scenario is to stay true on shooters. Do not leave shooters. Make sure that if they shoot threes, they're contested. You can leak off a little bit and help in the paint, generally to dig, like if guys like Porzingis or Boban touch the ball. But you have to be close enough to make sure that the three that they take is a contested three. And the Suns did that at every moment throughout this game. And I want to give a quick shout-out to Javon Carter, who was especially good in this game at doing at doing that. Um, they were switching a lot on Doncic as well, so he had some possessions yeah, guarding him. Yeah, they had to, because this, especially when Boban was screening, because there's no getting right. around a Boban screen. But I was really impressed, even though the main purpose is to force Doncic to take contested layups against DeAndre Ayton. That didn't work. But they still cha- stayed true to that game plan and trusted that if they were able to stop those three-pointers from absolutely demolishing us, then the Suns could have a chance to win, and it turns out that was true. And where the Mavericks struggled, they still took a lot of threes. and They actually took a lot of open threes, but where they struggled was hitting open threes in transition. I think that actually ruined Mm -hmm. their third and fourth quarter. But I just want to give a shout-out to the coach there because I think it was smart to go with that game plan. And I actually think a lot of coaches probably would have changed that game plan with Luka Doncic killing you from the inside. But I generally think if you can stop Porzingis, which they kind of did, and Luke, Luca gets his against a tough defender in Mikhail Bridges. As long as they're not hitting threes on you over and over again, you have a chance to win. And this game proved it. And and there was some yeah. pretty remarkable things that happened in order to get it there. Fair, fair to say, but I was very impressed with the coaching in this game. And and you mentioned how Luca was guarded on those switches by multiple positions. So I want to give my shout out. Cam Johnson and even Devin Booker. Wow, yeah. did a great yeah. job. Wow, I mean, because seriously, like Mikhail Bridges is a phenomenal. Uh, defender. He's the type of defender that you can build a scheme around, and yet he's only as valuable as, you know, the the one person that he is. If the Mavs decide to do what they did starting in the in the third quarter, where they set a pick on him every single time and force the switch, uh, you know, so at a certain point, Cam Johnson and Devin Booker they yes. need to switch. Most importantly, they need to be able to pull their weight because you know you do this every game. You're posting the highlights on Twitter. Mikhail got the first two stops of the game on Luka Doncic. He got two great stops on him in a row. It was very clear that when the two went mano a mano, Mikhail was able to get the best of him most of the time. But once we get to the second half and, and you got those switches, um, it was guys like Cam Johnson really coming up big, able to shuffle his feet well on the perimeter. Devin Booker, to an extent, did this as well. I don't think he logged as many possessions on Doncic specifically. Again, this is right after the game we're recording this, so we'd have yeah. to go back and rewatch. A few. Um, I think a few, but but Cam Johnson was the big guy. Like, Mikhail kept getting screened out of the play, so Cam had to switch. 
And a lot of people say, you know, Cam's only a shooter that like that was the idea coming into the coming into the draft. But he's he's just done so much more for this team than that. 19 points, but also 12 rebounds, four assists tonight, zero turnovers. He didn't get any flashy steals or blocks, but he shuffled on the perimeter well, stayed with Doncic throughout the game. Um, a, a phenomenal performance by Cam Johnson to the point where the Suns kind of won this game. And after the final buzzer, Mike, I was like, oh, yeah, and Kelly Oubre didn't play. Like it wasn't a, a consistent, and that's that's not me trying to be like we should trade Kelly Oubre right now for whatever reason. That's just me being like I didn't I didn't miss the presence of Kelly Oubre in this game because of how well our rookie was playing, and that's that's a really good feeling to have. I think that it is fair to call this the best NBA game of Cameron Johnson's young career. Obviously, he will have uh, better games, but he had 19 points. 12 rebounds, his first double-double yeah. of his career, and four assists. He was 6, 11, six for 11 shooting and, and shot 50% from the three-point line. But his a big thing that the Suns struggled with in the Washington game, a game that they won, was giving up offensive rebounds to a very focused uh, Washington Wizards team. And that was the type of thing where you can get away with that against the Washington Wizards, a team that is missing their three best players, likely, at least offensively. But you can't get away with that against a team like the Mavericks that can turn those offensive rebounds into consistent three-point makes. His focus on defensive rebounding was one of the most important things for the Suns in this game. Now, you can argue uh, Mikhail Bridges can... You can say that he's playing small forward or power forward. It, it doesn't matter. They're both playing forward positions. But in this game, if you want to break it down, Cam Johnson basically played that power forward position. You can, you can pretty much identify it because his focus on those defensive rebounds were vital to this win. And having 12 in right. this game, I think, was really, and, really impressive. And not to mention, we should talk about DeAndre Ayton, but DeAndre Ayton was rendered by the refs, unfortunately, very ineffective in this game. He only played 21 minutes. Um, and so without Aaron Baines as well, Frank Kaminsky checks into the game. That's a nightmare in so many ways <laughs> for the Suns. And so Cam was really pulling his own weight, but he was also pulling the weight of other guys, uh, making up for, for Kaminsky on the defensive glass. It was just such a complete performance for him in, in so many ways. And uh, I don't know, Mike, it's it's just so nice to see him defy expectations that way and kind of right. have all all these different skills that yes. isn't just him being a floor spacer culminate yes. into something greater than that. Yeah, James Jones is is smoking a cigar right now, <laughs> right now in his uh in his mansion in Arcadia. Well, yeah, cuz I mean, think about it. You what here's what you've always said on this podcast is you were like James Jones likes Cam Johnson because he drafted himself. But yeah. this wasn't Cam Johnson playing like James Jones. No. If he if he played was, like James Jones, yeah. he would have sat in the corner for 36 minutes and maybe played some good defense but just hit a cor- few corner threes and that would have been it. He was doing much much more than that. He was the third most important night to think about it and look at the box score again probably the third most important player to the suns tonight uh you know dave dufour the nba writer i a, do a, a really great nba writer he dave dufour had a really interesting comparison for cam johnson that i didn't expect and it was danny green uh yeah. which surprised me at a different uh, posi- like a, a three four instead of a two three but yeah exactly. i could see it i could kind yeah. of see it well, the thing is, Danny Green is is like a a, a very good defender uh, in in his own right, one of the better wing defenders in the league. Uh, and I would say that Cam Johnson is a better shooter than Danny Green and a slightly worse defender than Danny Green, or a worse defender. I think a worse a worse defender. He proved himself tonight, but he's still not like you know. I'm gonna have Reliable. Cam. Yeah, like when the Clippers, our next game is against the Clippers. Cam's gonna log heavy minutes against either Paul George or Kawhi. I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, but either one of those guys is going to give him trouble. <laughs> that's that's just what it is. But he's, yeah. he's still doing way better than I would have expected from him um, and deserves praise for that. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive performance by him uh, in sort of all aspects of this game. I thought th- this was the best game of Cam Johnson's career, like I said. And if he can continue to do stuff, I just think he's such a perfect fit in that starting lineup and I'm a big fan of seeing it. And if he can focus on defense uh, like this, uh, there's really no downside to starting him. Even, even though I want to say, for the record, I keep jumping around, but Dario Saric was 
vital in this game. Another Dude, it's very... hard not it's hard not to jump around because like we haven't I haven't <laughs> even said this yet. Um, I was planning on saying this like when the Suns took the lead in the with the bench of all units with the yeah. bench in the third quarter, didn't it feel like they were still down fifteen? Like it felt oh, like yeah. it was. It felt like Booker had five fouls. Aiden Absolutely, had five fouls. Bridges and the refs had, were on their team. Bridges yeah. had four. <laughs> it felt like a done deal. It felt like yes. a preemptive decision by the refs to take Aiden out of the game as soon as possible. <laughs> and I thought, I thought we were done. I thought I had no idea w- what we were going to talk about if we recorded a podcast. Um, <laughs> I think so, that there wow. was a point in the game where I realized how how great Dario Saric has been off the bench. Mind you, it's been one or it's been two NBA games and one scrimmage game so far that Dario has been coming off the bench uh, in favor of a Cam Johnson in the starting lineup. But there was a point in this game where Frank Kaminsky, who played nine terrible, terrible minutes, terrible. by the way, plus four in those minutes, but it That's doesn't matter. actually it's a, pretty surprising. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great example of how plus minus does not matter because if you continued to play in that game, it would have turned into a minus 10 pretty quickly. Yeah, like uh, campaign. I'm looking at campaign as a minus seven in the box score right now. And he was good. Right? He played some He played some critical minutes. With Absolutely. That the, uh, he made some mistakes too. He, he still does. But like, well, he actually, hit, he hit two straight threes. He hit two straight threes to put two us up vital six threes. in the third quarter. Yes. Like that's just that's exactly it was a a brilliant signing by James Jones. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. Maybe, at this maybe point, an overuse, you can say that maybe an overuse of the word brilliant there. Well, maybe, so maybe far, I mean, he's smoking a cigar, as we said. He's smoking uh, a cigar. I think that there was a point in the game where where Frank Kaminsky was in the game, as we were talking about. And uh, by the way, <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> uglier in the league than an open, wide open Frank Kaminsky three pointer, dear. God, he doesn't I, it's, just it's, miss those threes. Well, it's crazy. He how, really like, misses them. But he's a good. He's not a good. He's an okay three point shooter. Oh, he's like a. Yeah, he's like he's a fine. thirty. How is it 30 possible? Percent right. How is for, it possible a, to be a thirty five percent three point shooter? And but that, when they miss the sixty five percent of the time that you miss, it's just bricks. It's never yes. close. It, it never doesn't even hit the out. rim. Yeah, <laughs> it's remarkable. But there was a point in the game where uh, Frank was at center. And I was like, well, here it is. Here's the end of the game. This is when <laughs> yes. they blow. Yes. But then Dario Sharitz checks in for Frank Kaminsky at center. And like a calming wave just hit me in a way <laughs> that no bench player <laughs> has had the ability to do for the Phoenix Suns in a really long time. I yeah, said, I, oh, look, thank God. Dario Sharitz is checking I in. Think, I think I agree with you. I think Dario is a five long term too. But I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm oh. not like Dario is Lamar Odom and is going to oh, check yes. in and be no, six minutes. No, absolutely of the year. not. But the difference between Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric is such a wide margin, right? That it well, had a, and then he came in and he was he was excellent. He he was. Let's yeah. see. I'm going to look at the stats here. Five for eight shooting, thirteen points, eight rebounds in only twenty two minutes. I mean, that's that's yeah, exactly no, what you good. need from a six well, man. You know what's kind of interesting about this Dallas team specifically? You made a joke tweet at one point that like. Dallas would have won, or at least they would be winning. I don't remember when you tweeted it. They'd if be they up played, by 15, yeah. If they played Boban more. Yeah. Boban played six minutes. He had eight points. That's a very I, Boban stat line. Like, that's just what he does. Yes. I think Dallas has kind of stumbled upon this strategy that they can pull out on some teams that they don't even realize, where, like, they were supposed to have Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell's injured. He, Dwight Powell's a good player. Then they were supposed to have Willie Cauley-Stein. I forget. I think maybe personal reasons. Willie Cauley-Stein might be expecting a kid. Um, and so he's not in the bubble either. So instead, they've got Boban packing up, um, backing up KP. What's so cool about that is KP doesn't post up at all. He plays in this way where he's hitting pull-up threes in rhythm. And then you've got this behemoth that you can check in mm-hmm. uh, to, to kind of just back down a player like Dario or Frank. Either one would be toast. As soon as DeAndre Ayton checks out of the game, yeah. you just dump the ball into Boban. He hits a hook shot. Yeah. And especially and, mm-hmm. with a guy like Frank... It's double jeopardy because if you put it on, if you put him on a KP, he can't contain his dribble. But if you put him on Boban, he can't stop him in the post. It's just, it's, yeah. I was surprised. Well, that and KP not only had that, thirty-six minutes and Boban only played six. The Boban screens are so massive that that ends up being one-on-one uh, of Frank Kaminsky versus Luka Doncic if totally. that were to happen. Totally. And that's he's, a disaster. That's he's a complete just, disaster. As soon, it's, it's exactly what you were saying. As soon as Frank checked into the game, as soon as Aiden was in foul trouble, I was like, we're done. We're done. And, and Boban, to his credit, is I think he's thought of as just this giant meme player, but he's more than that. He's, he only played like 10 minutes per game this year, but I honestly think he could probably do more. 
and and you know what? It's the thing about Boban where guys that are like that uh, have to be deployed. And I know we're talking about the Mavs now, but they right. have to be deployed <laughs> Get in back specific in scenarios second. in order to make them uh, useful on the NBA court. That's just how they are. They're, they're specific guys who are very useful. The thing is, is the Suns have no size outside of DeAndre and coming off the bench with Aaron Baines out of the game. So with Aaron Baines out of the game, he becomes very useful. And that and that's something that they... Uh, I'm, I'm happy for it. Shout out to Rick Carlisle. Shout out to Dorian Finney-Smith because those two guys were vital in the Suns winning this game. But I genuinely believe... Look, I, I have a weird thing with Kristaps with Porzingis now where I, I truly believe he's a really good player, but every time I watch him, I think he's garbage. <laughs> it's like a you weird You thought he was thing. garbage in this one? Look, look, I thought he was fine, but I really, truly believe the Mavericks would have been better if all of the Porzingis minutes were replaced by Boban, and uh, Boban's not that good. That's, that's a wild take. You're talking I, I, about a guy who had 38 and four blocks today. Yeah, I, I'm aware of that, and he was genuinely good, but I just don't think that he was the best option for the Mavericks in this game. I think, and I think it's a weird thing, and I think it's partially on Rick Carlisle, where I think they were trying to take advantage of specific mismatches uh, with Kristaps in the in the in the post today, and I actually think they did relatively well in that scenario. But when Boban's on the court, and <laughs> this is too much Mavs talk, we're gonna have to move on from this now. But when Boban's <laughs> worry, on the court. Yeah. It's a massive screen for Porzingis. I'm sorry, yeah. for uh, Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic getting into the paint relatively easily. And then what? And then there's just so many options at that point. A giant uh, Boban Marjanovic at the rim or a bunch of shooters. And that makes it really difficult. So I think those screens are really vital. And screens, I you know, I believe this, Sam, are the most underrated skill in the NBA. Yeah, but if, if Boban clogs up the, play, uh, the paint all game, does Luka get 19 free throws? That's Yeah, that's a great there's point. The, there's that the gravity argument. Now... I want to move on from uh, Okay, Mavericks let's move players. on from Mavs talk. Can we talk about campaign? Yes, that's a great option. Go ahead. Dude, Cam fucking pain, man. Like, he, <laughs> he wasn't... Let me, let me pull up the... I, I, I like how I acted there as if I had a coherent point to make, and then I just don't. <laughs> it's he like, had, dude, campaign. <laughs> dude, well, I, I, we should post the screenshot of our text back and forth tonight, which is just like, dude, dude dude this is nuts yo stress like it was just one word stupid answers back and forth um campaign at 10 points tonight four of 10 shooting like on paper wasn't even that good only had one assist um but i think it was just the rhythm stuff like i feel it in my bones you know what i think a good comparison is actually is look over at dallas trey burke you see what yeah. Trey Burke did last, uh, la- I don't yeah. remember if that was last night or two nights ago two for nights Dallas, ago. but yeah. yeah, Trey Burke hit seven threes and he had 30 points. I feel it in my bones that campaign is going to have a game like that. Maybe not 30 points, but at some point throughout the bubble. And, th- and then to contrast that with what Trey Burke did tonight, tonight Trey Burke shot two for six. He was basically a non-factor. Had he blown up like he did a couple nights ago, Dallas would have won. But so that kind of just speaks to how these players are two sides of the same coin. They're, they're these different... Um, Sorry, they're these kind of inefficient, kind of inconsistent uh, spark plugs right. at the end of the day. And so Cam is going to have games where he shoots 0 for 10 like he did in one of those preseason scrimmages. Um, but I also feel a 20, 25-point game coming for him at some point. Um, it's going to happen. There's going to be a game where campaign saves us as we continue our push <laughs> to, to go 8-0 and ultimately go all the way to the finals. And in yeah. many ways, that game, <laughs> even though he didn't, he never took over tonight. He never took over tonight. But but that point at which he hit those two straight threes in the third quarter, I really thought it was coming. I thought tonight might have been the night where he like, oh, he's heating up. He's well, he was very good in the checks. Washington game as well. I think, uh, to be fair, what I what I was really impressed by uh, by specifically campaign in this game and also the Washington game. He's playing defense like a guy who barely is in the NBA, and and by that I mean. Defense, so much of defense is effort. Like there are certain things that you can't make up for with effort. That's just size, ask Javon strength, Carter. length. Yeah, just ask Javon, Javon Carter. Perfect example. There are certain things you can't make up for, but when you give that sort of 100% effort, I'm not going to say 110%, 100% effort the way that campaign and Javon Carter were in this game, it makes a massive difference. Yes, you will s- still get beat every once in a while. Every once in a while, people will still get you. 
Uh, but giving that level of effort, I think, is vital. And if he continues to do that, I think that's the type of thing that it takes. If And, and here's here's the thing about effort. I, I, I want to say people consider effort uh, sort of an easy thing. It's almost like you have, like, it's something that you expect from players. But the level of focus it takes to give constant effort on defense is a skill. That's really difficult to do. That's really hard uh, for a lot of NBA players to do, as we've seen, especially point guards. I think a lot of times point guards take so much, uh, they think so much about the offensive end of the floor, it takes away from their focus defensively, unlike guys like Ricky Rubio. And I want to actually, Sam, we're 26 minutes in now. Let's take a quick break and let's come back and talk a little bit about Ricky Rubio. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like to play without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, someone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code TIMELINE or DealDash.FM slash TIMELINE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash TIMELINE. Okay, I want to talk about Ricky Rubio. I'm going to give a shout-out to Evan Sidery here because he had a great tweet. Um about this lineup that I wanted to talk about. And I'm glad he did this because I think it perfectly encapsulated this point of the game, this moment of the game. He said the run that swung the game back in Phoenix's direction was a 16 to three run over a four minute period during the third quarter. The lineup Phoenix used was Rubio, Carter, Bridges, Johnson, and Kaminsky. Wow. And then Saric. As we talked about, Kaminsky only played a few minutes there. Sarge came in pretty quickly after that. That was a, as soon as uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton got into that serious foul trouble in the second half, every single thing about that game and the momentum of that game was in the Mavericks' favor. Nothing about what was about to happen made me feel like the Suns had any chance of winning. And the reason that is, is because I've seen this bench play before. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. not much more complicated than that. But the way that Ricky Rubio manipulated the Mavericks defense to allow the Suns to have an effective offense with likely, I I mean, no good offensive players other than him and Cameron Johnson, really. And, 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 no, yeah, no good offensive players except for him and Cameron Johnson, but not a single player who can really create for themselves the way you yeah. want them to. That Remarkable. is why you sign a guy like Ricky Rubio. That was yeah. a perfect example. Well, Rubio's best stretches are when, I mean, he's a good defender. He's not, he's not a sort of lockdown defender, especially in his kind of old age now, but he's a good defender. He always puts in the effort. No one will ever question Ricky Rubio's effort, I don't think. And his best stretches are when you can get stops and get him out in transition. And maybe he's not the best finisher out there on the court, but but the angles that he takes and the way that he finds open shooters and, and cutters and guys to dunk, it's it's just phenomenal. Because we know when, when it comes down to half-court offense and Devin Booker is off the floor, 
Ricky Rubio struggles. We know that's been a thing all season long, and that's why when Booker fouled out with two minutes left and DeAndre Ayton had barely taken a dribble all game long, I was terrified. Um, As it turned out, in that final stretch with two minutes left, Ricky actually made a, a huge play. He got to the free throw line with uh, and, and, and was actually kind of aggressive um, and sort of saved the Suns there. But going back to that 16-3 to run from earlier in the game, it's all about defense. And, and no one, or at least very few players in the league, are as good at turning defense into offense like Ricky Rubio can. It's, he's just he's phenomenal. He continues to be phenomenal in year 11, I think this is, of his career. Um and yeah, I, I tweeted out that he's aging like fine wine because he really is. I don't think people expected him to be a good acquisition for the Suns. Suns fans did, at least, maybe not the mainstream media. I don't think anyone really expected this. Like, he consistently posts the best net rating uh, statistics of any player on this team. Some of that is because of how poor the backup point guards were on the Suns. But even in a game like this, we just praised campaign for how good he was as a to have a steadying mm-hmm. effect on the Suns bench. Even mm-hmm. in a game like this, where campaign maybe is a little bit better than the backup point guards we've had in the past, Rubio was still a plus 12, campaign was still a minus 7. So the yeah. net rating impacts that he has on a game-to-game basis are still right. being seen now in the bubble yes. like no other player. Perfect example. That's and how think- you wind up. That's how you wind up with these advanced statistics like player impact plus minus that think Ricky Rubio is a top 30 player in the league, which might right. sound insane to some pl- uh, to some people, but that's the type of impact that he's truly had on, right. on the Phoenix Suns. And that's why you trade TJ Warren. And Perfect. I won't, per- and Perfect I won't, point. Yeah. Yes, and I won't focus on that, but I even want to say that Cam Payne's best minutes were minutes he shared with Ricky Rubio because in general, the NBA teams work the best with multiple ball handlers on Mm -hmm. the floor. So when you have both of those guys on the floor together, it works really well. And I, I I was just really, I've, I've been impressed with Ricky Rubio because let's just, let's just talk about what happened to Ricky Rubio in the last few months. Ricky Rubio, the bubble was planned. Ricky Rubio contracted the coronavirus, was not able to attend the bubble when the rest of the Suns players did came way late, practiced way less than the rest of the team, came onto the floor, and has consistently been the Suns' probably third best player, and you could argue over DeAndre Ayton, the second best player, because DeAndre Ayton has yet to show out in the bubble so far other than the game against the Washington Wizards. Which was good. A a good game. Yeah, very good. He was very, very good. By the way, I've realized we haven't even recorded a podcast since that game. We haven't even talked about it. No. But he was excellent in that game. He was excellent in that game. But Ricky Rubio's hitting shots. He's not shooting too much off the dribble from mid-range. By the way, we're going to talk about mid-range shots in just a second. I have have a stat I think that's going to blow your mind a little bit. It's going to piss me off, I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> because I thought I thought we were done. We'll talk about it in a sec. Well, yes. I just want to give another shout out. I think Ricky Rubio is not only uh, massively underrated on the offensive end of the ball, I still think he's probably one of the most underrated perimeter defenders in the NBA uh, because his ability on that side of the ball, uh, just nobody ever really talks about him as one of the better perimeter defenders. He just is. He's one of the best point guard defenders in the NBA. If you look at it by numbers or if you just watch the games, he's really good. Mid-range shots. The Suns drove me completely insane in the first half of this game, shooting too many mid-range shots. Those shots were coming from a lot of players. They were coming from players uh, like DeAndre Ayton, who his first three shots of the game were mid-range shots. They were coming from uh, Ricky Rubio, who took a little too many off the dribble in that first half. Uh, For those who haven't read it, David Nash, who was recently on this podcast, has a great newsletter. We talked about it recently. He talked about uh, Maury balling uh, DeAndre Aiden. That means eliminating his mid-range shots, just making him shoot shots at the three and at the rim. The entire Suns team should do that other than Devin Booker, period. In the first half of this game, where they were consistently outscored by the Mavericks, they shot 12 mid-range shots. That's 12 shots not from three and not in the paint. In the second half of this game where they took the lead and took control of this game, they shot four. So eight less shots from that mid-range area, and they took control of the game. Don't tell Eddie Johnson that. 
<laughs> yeah, by the way, Eddie Johnson, if you're listening to this podcast, turn it turn off it right off. now. Turn it off. <laughs> you don't want to hear this. You're not going to enjoy it. The Suns need to take less mid-range shots unless your name is Devin Booker, period. You should not be taking mid-range shots. If DeAndre Ayton is capable capable of shooting 30%. I can't believe 30% we're still... 30% from the three-point line. He I shouldn't be shooting mid-range shots. It's just, it's basic math. I can't believe we're still having this conversation because we shouldn't have to. It still needs all, to be said. Here's the thing. Anyone who is good um, at at initiating the pick and roll, being a pick and roll guard... So I'm going to extend it out a little bit. It's not just Booker. I, I I will let... Ricky Rubio has earned the right. If he's going to drive like he does, sometimes you get stopped. You don't you don't get a layup every time. He is allowed to sometimes take that mid-range shot. Campaign, if he's going to initiate right. pick and rolls, being the kind of Brandon Knight sort of yes. one-two combo is guard that exception. he is, yes. he is allowed. Th- those are my three. Those and, are the and only here's, three. And here's the thing. At the end of the shot clock, of course, shoot whatever you yeah, can get open. Fair. But I think the focus of the offense should be getting to the rim and shooting three-pointers. Well, and yeah. I hate that this team shot so many less three-pointers in the middle of the season where they continued to struggle. That's what they need to do. Stop. Just cut it out entirely. Just so continue he, shooting threes and, and shots at the rim. That's it. With Aiton specifically, here's my thing about it. I've got two points to make. There is... It's not... I say that it's as simple as boiling it down to a math game because if Aiton shoots like 40% on his mid-range shots, which I think he shoots even less, all he needs to do is shoot 27% from deep to to get the same points per possession. That's the basic math. Now, you could come at the argument, and and it would be a legitimate argument, that there are other reasons to station your big man um, kind of by the elbow area. This is what the Denver Nuggets do all the time, and they're a contending team. This is where they—they don't put Nikola Jokic just at the top of the key. There's a reason they station him at the elbow. It's because it— gives him easier access to handoffs to cutting guards who can come around those handoffs and drive with the ball or it's because the closer you are to the basket the more likely you are for Jokic to post up a little bit and get to the free throw line well here's a reason that doesn't work for DeAndre Ayton two reasons a he doesn't get to the free throw line he had zero free throw attempts against the Wizards (laughs) and he had two free throw attempts tonight um, against the Mavericks so that right there you know there is a way for him to be more efficient that involves taking a single dribble from the free throw um from the free throw line area and then getting himself free throw attempts, but he's not taking advantage of that. But B, the other thing is that whole thing about kind of generating handoffs and getting guys to cut around you doesn't really work for the Suns either. Right. If so much of their offense right now is predicated on guys like Cam Johnson right. shooting threes, Mikhail Bridges shooting threes, it would make more sense to me, I think, if you had Kelly Oubre in the lineup. Because you station Aiton at the elbow, you kind of do a handoff to Ubre. Ubre drives around. He loves driving to his left. He dunks on someone. Like, I can picture the whole play in my mind, and that kind of works. And you can't do that if you have Aiton at the three-point line all the time. But if you're just going to have Cam in one corner and Mikhail in the other corner, just just clear out and give Booker as much space to drive as possible and focus on hitting the three if you're DeAndre Aiton. Or set the pick and then roll all the way to the basket and go for the dunk. Forget, like, cut the and roll hard. <laughs> cut the 15-foot mid-range crap because for what personnel this team actually has right now, it just doesn't work. It's nonsensical. Um, and yeah, I, I really thought at a certain point in the second quarter or the third quarter that if the Suns were going to come with that crap, at what is literally the most efficient offensive team in NBA history, they didn't have a chance. Yeah, and you and you said his name, and I and my mind went blank uh, almost completely. Mikael Bridges. We have to quickly talk about him. Mikael Bridges in these scrimmages is now almost like a a distant memory of this uh, star player emerging as this like. All of a sudden, people were making Paul George and Kawhi Leonard comparisons. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, he had 38 minutes today. He had four points, one assist, and one rebound. And I want to say he was maybe the best to second best player on the floor in this game. I, I just want to remind people, and I know there's no problem here, with people giving Mikhail Bridges credit. Suns fans are very good at giving Mikhail Bridges credit. Uh, recently, but I think it's people remarkable. around the league are, are good at giving him credit. It's too. happening now. Yeah, it's happening now. But I just want to make the point that there are very few players that can have a box score of four points, one assist, <laughs> one rebounds in 38 minutes and have as massive of an impact on the game 
as Mikhail Bridges. He was essentially matched up in minutes against Luka Doncic and forced to guard him. Mind you, the Mavericks are really good at forcing mismatches in transition where they run and they don't necessarily attack the basket when they run. They run with the purpose of forcing mismatches in transition and then they capitalize on those mismatches. So uh, unfortunately, Mikhail Bridges wasn't matched up on Luka Doncic as much as you would want in this scenario. I'm looking forward to looking at the stats, the matchup stats tomorrow to see how well Mikhail Bridges actually did against Luka Doncic. I imagine, I imagine he did very it's good. good. It's yeah. pretty good. And I everyone mean, else, look, very bad. <laughs> Luka still shot 11 for 20 from the field, but I think a lot of those field goals were poured in towards the end of the game. I remember looking at one point in the first half and he was like six for 15. So I think it'll be pretty good for Mikhail. I also tweeted out, this is why when the Suns take Devin Vassell, uh, you're not yes. going to be able to hide your. You're not going to be able yes. to hide your star player anymore if the if the Suns roll out. Because yeah. also you you notice, um, Rick Carlisle checked out Luca maybe four minutes into the game because he was trying to avoid McHale entirely, and 30 seconds later Monty pulled McHale and was like, "No, we're not doing that." <laughs> so yeah, but he he was he was uh, insistent on sticking McHale on the Mavericks star player the the entire game, and that's yeah. not going to be something. Even if you wanted to next year, theoretically, if the Suns had another player like Vassell on the perimeter. Uh, you wouldn't be able to hide against anyone. There's no sort of bench unit you could have uh, where the Suns would not have good perimeter defense to check a superstar level wing or forward. Yes, yes, and and I want to say that what that allows you to do with Devin Booker is so important. And I know we're such a broken record at this point, but being able to hide Devin Booker is great, but also having guys that are quick to make up for the mistakes that Devin Booker makes is also vital. And I want to just say quickly, we talked about how good Devin Booker was uh, offensively. I think we didn't really touch on uh, his focus defensively. I I Generally, I'm quick to notice mistakes that Devin Booker makes on defense. To the chagrin of a lot of my followers. Well, if Twitter, you if you didn't do it, you would be the only one on Sun's Twitter who actually posts the bad clips. That that's not true. That's not true. There There's are very other, few. There are other people on Sun's Twitter who are very respected analysts who will post the clips. But there are only a f- I'll put it this way: there are only a few people who post clips uh, while the game is live going on. Right. Uh, you do that every single game, and you would be the only one of those people who will post the bad, which I think yeah. is a good thing, but but we'll get you in hot water occasionally if it's about yeah, Booker's Yeah, it's defense. probably the reason we'll never have Devin Booker on this podcast. That's fine. <laughs> and it's fine. Yeah, I, I have to be true to the, what I see in the game. But I, I want to say that the effort that Devin Booker has shown in these first few games, and it, and this is outside of the scrimmages, and I think that's fair. As I, I gave that longer leash to DeAndre and uh defensively uh before in the scrimmages when I said these games don't matter if they're giving slightly less of an effort in these games that's okay and that is also extended to a guy like Devin Booker not that his my opinion on him matters in any way but I do think that the effort that he has given in the games that we have seen that have counted which are of course the Wizards game and the Mavericks game has been great I think he has focused on ball he has fought through screens, which is something that I think uh, is difficult for him. And I think he has focused, like we talked about in the beginning of this episode, how much you have to focus in order to make sure that you stay true on uh, the shooters that play for Dallas as Luka Doncic just sort of very slowly uh, waltzes his way into the paint. It takes a lot of focus, and I think he's been, he was very good in this game. He was very good in the Washington game. And if he continues that level of effort, which you can hide him, right? You're playing him on the worst offensive player on the other team generally, guys that just stand at the three-point line and shoot. Uh, that's going to make a big difference going forward. Did, did you notice that? Yeah, no, I, I, I did. And I think you also, you also tweeted out at one point in the game, wasn't there something about the Suns? This is when we were all frustrated. Wasn't there something about <laughs> the Suns didn't look for Booker on offense and then he kind of... Like, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I 100%. I could picture the like the play. His, his in transition, Booker, yes, is I, dictated <laughs> by the the offense running smoothly. That's a very incoherent way of me saying that. But you know what I mean. Like, well, if, I'll if, describe if the Suns it. are sure. Describe it. <laughs> I'll describe the play in detail. The Suns had a defensive stop that led to a fast break 
possession. The fast break possession uh, resulted in mismatches. Ricky Rubio was dribbling the ball in the center of the court. Devin Booker was on the left wing. Cam Johnson was in the corner. Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker was calling for the ball because the mismatches resulted in Kristaps Porzingis guarding Devin Booker. Kristaps was way back uh, guarding from Devin Booker in a way where Devin Booker could have shot the slightly long three-pointer. In fairness to Ricky Rubio, he passed to Cam Johnson, who probably would have nailed that three-pointer. Whoever was guarding Cam Johnson closed out. Cam Johnson uh, cut into the paint, which (laughs) which forced Chris Stapps to back up even more. Nobody passed to Devin Booker in this play. The entire time, he was calling for the ball, you know, doing the thing where you kind of clap and hold your hands out in front of you. Nobody passed him. The next possession... Uh, Devin Booker was lined up in the left corner against Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith back cut Devin Booker as he was ball watching, which led to a layup on that end of the floor. I am not saying that Devin Booker deserves the ball on every play, but he did deserve the ball on that play. <laughs> I yeah, do think he did. I haven't, I haven't noticed a general trend of, of our guys missing him, though. No, uh, definitely not. And I think that when you're giving the ball to Cam Johnson in the corner, which... Uh, could result in a transition uh, pull-up three in the corner. I love that. I don't think that's the wrong play, but I don't think that it's a coincidence that Devin Booker fell asleep a little bit. I think he was fuming a little bit about not getting the ball in that play in a position where he was continually attacking Kristaps Porzingis on that mismatch and getting to the rim on Porzingis and sometimes getting the foul call and sometimes not. Uh, so I don't blame him for being a little frustrated, but those types of things you have to cut out of your game entirely. I want to make it clear, I am not overly attacking Devin Booker. Obviously, I think he was phenomenal in this game. It's how we started this podcast. Sam, I want to ask you, though. I felt like I was going to die watching this game. <laughs> it was it was amazing. It was like... it. Ha- I've been watching mostly pieces. Um, it's hard for me oftentimes on weekdays to watch live games um, because of my work schedule, but... I, I've seen other games that didn't involve the Suns before this, and none of them, it didn't really feel like we were back. But this was the first game. And, and you know what's interesting is the neutral playing site has really made for a lot of interesting close games so far. Like how many yeah. blowouts? I know it's only been a couple days, but how many blowouts have we seen? I'm not sure there's been, um, I think, Sacramento got demolished today by Orlando. Yes. But I think that and may actually, have been Actually, I'm like, glad you said that. Por- the Portland Trailblazers lost today against the oh, Boston yeah. Celtics. The Memphis Grizzlies lost today. Not necessarily great for the Suns in the position they're in. It would have probably been better if the Grizzlies beat the Spurs in that scenario. The Kings lost today, and then the Suns won. So the Suns are in a position where the, the teams that you particularly want to lose, the Pelicans also lost yesterday, lost. Yeah, they're in, no, they're in good shape so far. I believe they're, they're two games out of the ninth spot at this it's, point. It's, yeah, and, and it's just two games doesn't feel like a lot with six games to go, but it's just the sheer number of teams that they're competing with. They and they're need, all good. They need but, the best-case scenario. But but to go yeah. back to your question, absolutely tonight. Like, my heart was racing. I was pacing around my house. Like, I still kind of feel nauseous, honestly. It's 45 minutes later. Like, right. it's it's... Just something that I haven't experienced in a and very long time. And like 100%. that was my wake-up call of basketball is back now. And, and, and in a real way, yes. And I want to say, uh, first of all, shout-out to the NBA because this is a legitimately good product that they're putting out on the uh, for our TVs here. Uh, but what we talked about, you and I specifically, was would this give us a chance to see the Suns rotation shortened up? And would this allow us to see the way that Monty Williams coaches when there's a lot on the line. And as the bubble started going, I started to think that no, uh, that would not be the case. But it turns out outside of Frank Kaminsky, who played nine minutes and kind of had to, because Deandre only played 21. Exactly. The Suns played an eight man rotation outside of that. Cam Johnson, 40 minutes, Mikhail 38, Javon Carter, 25 minutes. And I, I, I just want to say I like that, first of all, because I don't like the bench. So if you're shortening up the bench, by the way, think about those 
uh, Kaminsky minutes replaced by Aaron Baines and how good that would make this team. Well, as think f- about think about the Kaminsky minutes replaced by Aaron Baines and then the Javon minutes replaced by Kelly Oubre, <laughs> and then right. you're really in business. But but most teams don't have the luxury of doing that, so it's not fair to do that. Most teams right. are always missing someone. Right, right. Uh, and to be fair to the the Mavericks, Jalen Brunson was not playing. Dwight Powell was not playing. This just it's just what you're facing uh, in the bubble at this point. But but it turns out we are seeing that Sam. We are seeing the rotation shortened up. We are seeing decisions made by Monty Williams as if this were a playoff game, because for all intents and purposes for the Suns, it is now. This may not last, right? A blowout against the Clippers and the Spurs winning another game, right? That that could ruin this type of uh, feeling, this type of momentum that the Suns have going. But I will say I am impressed with not only how certain guys are playing, Ricky Rubio, uh, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, but also Monty Williams uh, in, in what they're doing. I have been impressed with all of them. The one thing I will say is we I'm waiting for that DeAndre in real breakout game and and Washington yes I know he had a great game against Washington uh, I don't know that that matters <laughs> a lot because Washington is already one of the worst teams that made it and missing some of their best players uh, I'm just looking forward to DeAndre and having a good game against well, a good team I haven't even thought about it is there a team like what. Um, I guess the Suns. The Suns would need to beat the Clippers and then the Pacers because Sabonis is out. Keep in mind, what, like what's what's DeAndre's next? What's DeAndre's next key matchup? That because because I take it like you're not interested that he beat Washington and beat like Thomas Bryant, who's an okay player. But but like, d- does it take when we take on the Heat a week from now next yeah. Saturday? Yeah. Like a, a good performance against Bam Adebayo. Is that kind of what you're talking about? I think a good performance against the Clippers, against Indiana, and against the Heat, any of those, I think would be great because it's not necessarily just about uh, the matchup, the individual matchup. It's also about rising to the occasion. It's also about the moment. I don't want to get too ESPN-y here. (laughs) Right, of course. But I do want to say that one of the concerns about DeAndre Ayton is his mental mental, uh, state. In, in all of these games, how focused is he on dominating in the way that someone with the body type that he has can potentially dominate in the athleticism that he has? So a great game against the Clippers, against Indiana, against Miami. The, uh, in fact, three ga- great games against all three of those teams, I think would really be impressive. Uh, I, and I don't want to I don't want to focus. I don't want to hate on him, if you will. I don't think he deserves that. I think that. Uh, these refs in this game were not calling the game like they would a normal NBA game. By the way, the theory that we had of potentially the refs having less bias because there's no fans, that's gone. <laughs> Although this was a Suns home game, in quotes. Doesn't it? So. Now that we're 50 minutes in, I'm st- still very excited about the outcome of tonight, but I just got to ask you honestly, because for a while there, I really thought the Suns were going to lose this game, and that would have been it, and this podcast would have turned out very differently in our tone. Does it concern you? I don't think this is DeAndre's fault. But does it concern you that the Suns are exerting so much effort into their number two superstar, one of their core franchise pieces, uh, that he can be taken out of the game so easily? Just like that. Like the refs came in, they decided they were going to call a lot of fouls tonight. Obviously that impacts everyone. Booker was in foul trouble throughout the night too. But typically when refs make those sorts of decisions, it, it falls on the big men who aren't able to do what they normally do, cleaning up around the glass and... And just the idea I really struggle with, I'm not trying to turn this into a Doncic versus Aiden conversation necessarily, but I think maybe more so I'm turning it into a conversation of centers, the value of centers in the NBA in 2020 versus the value of guards. It's a little scary to me that when Luka Doncic or a good guard who gets these types of calls has a bad game, they can shoot 20% from the field, but still get 20 free throws. And because of that, they still have a positive impact. But when a center like DeAndre Ayton is singled out by the refs, he's useless. And and that's scary. If, if that's going to be your number two superstar and you talk about trying to win in playoff settings going forward, I'll be honest, that scares me. And I don't know if you have the same reaction. 
Uh, well, yes, it does. But at the same time, Joel Embiid is a perfect example of how a big man can take advantage of that because Joel Embiid can catch the ball in the mid post, turn around and create uh, a foul opportunity just based on swinging his arms. Similarly to the way Luka Doncic, I mean, let's be honest, it's foul baiting. Luka Doncic foul baits, James Harden foul baits, Joel Embiid foul baits. I'm not against that. I think that those are players that are using their advantages and using the rules as they're written to their advantage. I'm not against that. I would like to see DeAndre Ayton do that. I do think that expecting that out of him for the end of this season is expecting a little too much development from the player that we know of uh, in DeAndre Ayton. The advancements he's made in defense have been impressive enough. Now, now that's not to say that I don't expect him to get better at drawing fouls in the future, but I do think at this point it's likely going to take a full offseason, which, by the way, no team in the NBA is now afforded, but a full offseason to get the right mindset as far as drawing fouls uh, would be nice. I, I don't expect that. I think it might actually be a little more difficult for him uh, to do that now that so, he's shooting threes and we're trying to eliminate two, those mid-post touches. Year two was the year of defensive improvement. We've seen it. He doesn't lock people down every day, but he does it, I think, on a more consistent basis now. Year three will be the year of 40% three-point shooting, and year four will be the year of 10 free throws a game. And by the end of his rookie contract, <laughs> we'll have a, a 30 and 15 right. defensive two-way superstar on our hands. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly... Uh, that's exactly how it works. Uh, development in the NBA is always linear, and players that get better <laughs> only get better over time. So that's definitely how it works. Before we end this, by the way, 55 easy minutes talking about a single game. That's how fun wins are. But coming up this week is the Clippers on Tuesday. Uh, still no confirmation on the status of... Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, the two best bench players in the NBA. Uh, the Indiana Pacers on Thursday, and then Saturday against the Miami Heat. That's tough. <laughs> That's the thing about the bubble. You're not playing any of the worst teams in the NBA. You're only playing the top 22 teams yeah, and the Suns just, of the uh, 21st. Just got to take it one game. It's a cliche. Just got to take it one game at a time. I'm not even really thinking about Indiana or Miami right now. Other than that, I want Ricky Rubio to continue to play well against the Clippers so that we have that narrative of, see, this is why we don't need TJ Warren. We have Ricky Rubio when the Pacers come around. <laughs> um, but other than that, I'm not thinking about those teams right now. It's all about LA. It's all about those two guys, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George mainly. And uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's, going to, be real it's tough. going to be tough. I think that Clippers game but, we've seen we've seen what it takes for the Suns to beat the Clippers, and what it took was a superhero esque game by Devin Booker and a remarkably executed game plan against Kawhi Leonard. Was, Mind um, you, no Paul George in that game. So wait, which game was that? Was that beginning of the season? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that one of the Aaron Baines games too? Uh, yes. I yes, it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good point. It could be a different game. And I think without Montrez Harrell, who takes advantage of every big man, uh, <laughs> that that's kind of a, a better – that helps the Suns a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll see who ends up playing in that game. Uh, that's Tuesday at 1 p.m. Phoenix time. Which means um, hopefully you have listened to this podcast in the 36 hours since it was released um, <laughs> because people always come to it several days later. Um to you people hopefully what we talked about in this episode wasn't wasn't too out of date uh yeah if the sun's getting murdered by the clippers <laughs> they're not gonna have as much fun then the dream listening to us gloat about beating the mavericks but uh, any other thoughts on the mavericks game or the upcoming game sam i don't believe so i think that's enough we're uh, now we're going I'm all going the way to, yeah i mean it's a weird thing where the sun's playoff hopes are still alive. My leg genuinely is still, still alive. My leg is still jittering. It's an hour later. Uh, and I think we're going to end this episode and then I might go and throw up. <laughs> you know what I have to do? What's that? I have to record the ad reads after two uh, pretty tall drinks. <laughs> so that'll be fun. That will be fun. 
All right, we'll be back. I actually don't know. For sure next week. But if something fun happens this week, I imagine we'll get back on the mics this week, right, Sam? Yeah, if we if there's a reason for an emergency episode, you know we'll be here. If All right. cam, if campaign drops 53 points. Yeah, that'd be fun. 71 71 points. <laughs> <laughs> All right, be back soon. It's just a, a, a lot of competitive guys with a ton of drive and will and um, like I just told them that this was what I wanted to experience on the on this uh, in this bubble was this, something like this where we just had our backs against the wall and uh, across the board we got efforts from everybody even though we didn't make uh, the smartest plays tonight um, in the first half second half that third quarter we won 36 19 and it was just will it was, it was drive it was will it was a never quit um, attitude and um i was just proud of it. I, I was just wanting them to experience something like that together so that we can grow as a team sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.